ladies, and welcome to the Amazing Bible Book Club. I am Julie Callio, your host, and thanks so much for taking time out of your busy schedules to tune in with me today. If by chance you want to contact me, you can do that at theab.bc.pc at gmail.com. Today we are reviewing the seventh minor prophet of Nahum, whose name means consoler. The first is Hosea, who married a harlot, which represented the unfaithfulness of Israel to the Lord, but also shows the Lord's hesed love, his steadfast love toward his people. Joel prophesied of a plague of locusts, which was to call his people back to the Lord before the day of the Lord comes. Amos preached, but let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. He was calling the Lord's people to social justice and true worship. Obadiah proclaimed judgment on Edom, descendant of Esau, because of their vengeful actions against Judah and Jerusalem. Jonah was sent to Nineveh, the capital of Assyria, to preach repentance. He refused and ran the other way and ended up being swallowed by a fish. After three days and nights in the belly of the fish, he finally prayed, Fine, I will fulfill my vow. The fish vomited him unto dry land. Jonah went and proclaimed the Lord's word, and the people repented, which made Jonah mad. Micah prophesied about events which covered at least 700 years, which began with the fall of Samaria to Assyria, the attack on Jerusalem by Assyria, but it was Babylon who had destroyed Jerusalem. His prophecies continued about the exile and then the return, and then there was hope that one would be born in Bethlehem. Now we have Nahum, which, as Dr. Bet said, this is the prophecy that Jonah wanted to preach. Verse 1 of chapter 1 says, The Burden of Nineveh, the book of the vision of Nahum the Elkishite. The Hebrew word for burden is Massa. It means burden, tribute, utterance of doom, especially singing, carry away, prophecy, song, or tribute. Many translations say oracle. I find it interesting that the book begins with a psalm or a song, which is included in the definition. We also see in the introduction that this is also considered a book of the vision that Nahum received. This book is about the judgment that will come upon Nineveh, the capital of Assyria, the place that Jonah went to preach. No one knows where Elkosh is located, but some think it is in the southwest part of Judah. Even though this book describes the Lord's judgment on Nineveh, there is no record Nahum was sent there like Jonah was. So it seems to be a book of hope to the people of Judah. It certainly would have made Jonah happy. The book itself does not mention any kings of Judah to give us a win of the prophecy. So once again, we put on our detective hats and look within the text to give us clues. First, Nineveh had not fallen yet. And historically, we know that Nineveh fell to the Babylonians with the Medes' help in 612 BC. In chapter 3, verses 8 and 9, it seems that the city Noaman also known as Thebes, a city in Egypt, 
had already fallen to Assyria, and historically this is known to be in 663 BC. So the book was written somewhere between these two dates, so we have a 50-year window. One other historical note is that in 650, the Assyrians were driven out of Egypt again, and Thebes was rebuilt. So that may shorten our window down to a 38-year time frame. We also know that Samaria was destroyed by Assyria in 722 BC, so there is no longer a northern kingdom of Israel. Judah alone remains standing. So we have covered the who, what, when, and where of this story, and now the why. The why is found in verses 7 and 8 of Nahum, which Dr. Betts calls the key verses. The Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble, and he knows those who take refuge in him. But with an overflowing flood, he will make a complete end of its sight and will pursue his enemies into darkness. In other words, the Lord is over the events of history and over the nations, and there is a day of the Lord coming. To those who are faithful to the Lord, it will be a day of rejoicing. But to those who disobey, it will be a day of doom. Since Jonah went there and preached with their repentance 150 or so years earlier, just like Israel and Judah, they quickly turned from the Lord and they are held accountable for their actions and disbelief. Chapter 1, verses 2 through 8, is an introductory song or a psalm. In verse 2 alone, we see, A jealous and avenging God is the Lord. The Lord is avenging and wrathful. The Lord takes vengeance on his adversaries, and he reserves wrath for his enemies. In just one verse, we see a form of vengeance three times, wrath two times, and the Lord three times. In the New Testament, the Apostle Paul says in Romans 12, verses 17 through 21, Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Never take your own vengeance, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. And if he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. We are to leave the vengeance in the hands of the Lord. Then in verse 3, we see that once he is vengeful, now he is slow to anger and great in power, and he will not leave the guilty unpunished. In verse 6, we get a rhetorical question. Who can stand before his indignation? Who can endure the burning of his anger? Then verse 7 shows the Lord's relationship to those who take refuge in him, and verse 8 shows the Lord's relationship with his enemies. After the psalm, Nahum's writing goes back and forth between Nineveh and Judah. It can be very confusing if your Bible does not separate them into paragraphs. I am using the outline in C. Hassel Bullock's book, An Introduction to the Old Testament Prophetic Books, to show where the divisions are. Verses 9-11, through 11, the Lord is talking to Nineveh on how they plotted against the Lord. 
And then verses 12 and 13, the Lord is addressing Judah, telling them he will break the yoke of the Assyrians from off their neck. Verse 14 is back to Nineveh, that they will be destroyed because they are contemptible. Verse 15 of chapter 1 is addressing Judah again, and it says, Behold on the mountains the feet of him who brings good news, who announces peace. Celebrate your feast, O Judah. Pay your vows, for never again will the wicked one pass through you. He is cut off completely. The book of Isaiah in chapter 52 verse 7 reads, How lovely on the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who announces peace and brings good news of happiness, who announces salvation and says to Zion, Your God reigns. Paul in the book of Romans chapter 10 uses these verses to say that it is Jesus who brings true peace and blessed are those who proclaim that good news of Jesus. Going into chapter 2, verse 1, the Lord lets Nineveh know they will be scattered. And then verse 2 is how Judah will be restored. Verses 3 through 9 of chapter 2 give a poetic description of the overflow of Nineveh. Verses 10 through 12 are a taunt against Nineveh, with verse 13 being a declaration of the Lord. Behold, I am against you, declares the Lord of hosts, or in other words, the Lord of armies. I will burn up her chariots in smoke. A sword will devour her young lions. I will cut off your prey from the land, and no longer will the voice of your messengers be heard. This makes me think of when Assyria tried to take Judah in 2 Kings chapter 18, when Sennacherib, king of Assyria at the time, sent messengers trying to make a bargain with King Hezekiah, and he taunted the Lord and said the Lord could not stop them. Well, the Lord did stop them, and he completely stopped them now. And in the history books, they were so demolished that the ruins couldn't even be found until many, many years later. Chapter 3 begins with woe to Nineveh, woe to the bloody city, completely full of lies and pillage. Her prey never departs. Verses 2 through 4 describe the destruction. Verses 5 through 6 describe how the Lord is against Nineveh. Verse 7 is a lament over Nineveh by all who come around and see her. Verses 8 through 13 stating that they are not better than the places they have destroyed and now they too will be destroyed. Verses 14 through 17, the Lord is telling Nineveh to prepare for the siege, but it won't help them. And then the book ends with an address to the king of Assyria, which tells him that his wounds are incurable and all who hear about their destruction will clap their hands because their evil pass continually over them. Dr. Bett said in class with regards to Nahum, it is necessary to recognize both aspects of God. God is a God who judges sin, and he is a God who is ready to forgive the one who repents. This is a great picture of who God is. The greatest act of God's vengeance that has ever happened did not happen in the Old Testament. It happened with his son, Jesus Christ, on the cross as he poured out his unrelenting wrath upon his son. We must recognize the important message of the Bible. He also said, 
This should be a reminder to all of us that just because we may not see God's judgment happening now does not mean that God's judgment will not happen because it will. In God's own time, God is a patient God, but God is not a God of neglect. He will keep his promises, both to bless and also to judge. All right, ladies, where are you today? Do you want to take vengeance on your enemy? Cry out to the Lord and lay the issue at his feet and he will take care of it like he did with King Hezekiah. Are you fearful or struggling with world issues today, such as war, the election, the strikes, price increases, or injustices in the land? Seek the Lord and remember that he is on his throne and he sees all things. And in Psalm 37, verses 12 through 13, David writes, But the Lord laughs at the wicked, for he sees that his day is coming. Or maybe you need to accept the good news of Jesus Christ and his death and resurrection on the cross. Or maybe you need to go and share that good news with a friend or a family member. As with the prophets, the message is clear. If we hear God's voice, When we obey and line ourselves up to his ways, we are blessed. And if we don't, judgment is coming. Let's be like the prophets, except maybe not Jonah. And let's obey. Until next time, and thanks so much for listening.